Welcome to the 66th episode of Yalukika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Swedian Lee, and this week Stephanie is out because, believe it or not, she had to go through an emergency root canal um, this past weekend, and suffice to say, she cannot speak right now, which is a problem for an audio podcast. So she's she's out for this week, but we're excited. I'm super excited to have a former guest of the podcast, Andita Firsali Utami, better known as Afu, um, on this episode. And we're going to be talking about the recent vice presidential debate that just happened. Long-time listeners, you might know Afu from her YouTube channel with her husband, Wikan, called Frame and Sentences. Go check out their YouTube channel. We'll link it in our show page. Also, check out our episode where we talk to both Afu and Wikan about the work they're doing with that YouTube channel. But yeah, you know, Afu's based in Indonesia right now, and I'm excited to talk to her about Maruf Amin's performance, Sandiaga Uno's performance, and really dig deep into some of the policies, but also, you know, uh, what this debate and the kind of uh, political conversation is around the presidential elections. So, without further ado, here's to it. So, uh, obviously, I'm very excited to have you in this episode, Afu. I'm pretty sure for most of our listeners who've been paying attention to Dialogica, they've probably heard of you and of Frame and Sentences. But for those who don't know you, can you just give a little bit of a refresher of who you are and what you're up to these days? Sure. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Afu. I'm currently a researcher for an international organization, I also have a YouTube channel where I talk about social political issues, which is probably the reason why Swedian decided to call me in for this podcast. I mean, uh, honestly, I think, you know, you're one of the smartest people I know, and you definitely have really great insights, not only about Indonesian politics, but just about the world. So any chance to bring you in? I mean, I'm always game for <laughs> I hope so. I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you for making the time, and I guess we'll just go straight into it. Obviously, the the vice presidential debate happened just this past Sunday. Uh, for those of you who weren't tuning in, uh, Maruf Amin and Sandiaga Uno were debating on their own this time and talking about specific topics such as education, health, human resources, social issues, and culture. Afu, I mean, what do you think, and how do you think they performed? Yeah, I was actually... I joined this uh, kind of watch together event in Jakarta uh-huh. and I honestly had very low expectations on Pak Ma'ruf Amin and very high expectations on Sandiaga Uno. Uh-huh. I know people, you know, based on the first debate where Pak Ma'ruf Amin was next to Jokowi and w- did not perform, you know, very well, did not add too much value to what Jokowi was already saying. So I had really low expectations on, you know, how he would answer very specific issues and you know issue where there has been a lot of policies so you really Mm -hmm. need to know kind of what has been going on in the field what are you know some of the policy acronyms and jargons and all of that and i wonder if can keep up to that knowing that he did not come from necessarily you know uh, traditional political 
policy background, mm-hmm. whereas Santiago Uno, I had high expectations because we, I mean, he, some people saw that he performed quite well in the first debate, very first debate. Um, and he's also known as this, you know, businessman slash, uh, you know, people who have been working on the economic sector presumably know more on the issues of jobs and, and human resources. Mm-hmm. So coming from that expectation, I think, uh, the, the result or the, yeah, the, the whole process of the debate had flipped my expectations. Like the outcome is, is the opposite where Pamaruf Amin actually exceeded my expectations. I can see that he had, I, I think his performance is kind of proof that their camp, uh, Jokowi and Maruf Amin's camp actually had kind of the, some of the best advisors and trainers or whomever's been training <laughs> Maruf Amin behind scene have done a really good job in terms of, you know, prepping him about some of the issues and the kind of priorities, the agenda that the, you know, innovation and programs that, that have been implemented during mm-hmm. Jokowi's first term. And he framed it really well on how he wanted to take it or his administration, if they get elected, you know, will take it to the next level. Whereas Sandiago Uno is stuck, I think, in the same narrative of this bootless in Sragen. <laughs> and, and, I, I have to say, failed to really, you know, robustly criticize what's been missing from the current administration. Whereas, you know, as a development worker slash policy analyst, I know for sure, even though there are many progresses, there, there, there's also issues on the ground on how, um, what Jokowi and, uh, Yusuf Kala have done, you know, in this term. Mm-hmm. There are some very valid criticism that can be thrown that Camp, uh, O2 failed to bring up in the debate. So I, I should say that I was quite happy with Pabarov Amin's, um, performance and mm-hmm. not so much on San Diego. I mean, that's fascinating, right? Because I think certainly, at least for me, when I first heard that Maruf Amin was going to be Jokowi's vice presidential candidate, there was definitely a lot of discussion, in the, especially amongst the youth, I think, in Indonesia, where they were skeptical, I would say, whether or not uh, somebody like Maruf Amin would be able to touch on those specific topics, especially knowing that Jokowi uh, is really good at touching on his own topics. Like he, he knows his stuff, right? Can Maruf Amin bring uh, credibility and also uh, bring his own I guess perspective into it. Yeah, and I don't know if they're. I think that the strategy, there, the each camp strategy is very different. I think maybe Sandiago Uno's camp thinks that oh, the people who will be watching are not policy experts or mm-hmm. like the the audience that they're appealing to wouldn't care or wouldn't really know the big picture situation on on these um, issues. Whereas, uh, I mean, I think really prepped for. Um, for people like me who actually, who actually know, you know, the implementation of some of the issues, knows that stunting is a really huge issue. Yes. Um, it, it's almost like they're talking to a very different audience. Uh-huh. You know, if you open like Twitter accounts of people who, who are supporting Bravo and Santiago Uno, they would, you would see that they all praise him for being this great speaker and it was a really great performance and all that. So it's like, you know, they have very different benchmark almost to assess, uh, what's good and bad during the debate, right? Almost like uh, during, you know, Trump and Hillary's speech, mm-hmm. uh, de- sorry, debates um, previously, I know that each side takes very different um, lessons or, or, or they perceive very different performances from both candidates, mm-hmm. depending on what their biases are. And I think, you know, it, it actually speaks a lot about, about how 
debates work and how campaigning works, right? Like for neutrals or, you know, for uh, observers, they might think like, oh, this is supposed to be a space on a platform where two candidates can really talk about policy, but sometimes it's not really talking about policy, right? It's talking to your base, to uh, impressionable voters, whatever. It's whatever you want your target to be, but it's hard to strike that balance where you're not only talking to your base and, you know, touching on specific campaign points, but also proving to, as you said, people like you who are in the space, that you know what you're talking about. And you think that Maruf Amin did better on that front? I would say so. And especially this topic, right, the topic of human capital is a, mm-hmm. is a very big, important topic. And uh, I was kind of worried about, you know, whether Maruf Amin can, can really deliver. Uh, because, you know, people are probably familiar for Jokowi's administration, the first term, uh, he's been kind of uh, framing or planning it to be a hardware period where he deals with the infrastructure. So the problem of this really physical, you know, buildings and roads mm-hmm. uh, and all of that. He has been speaking about making his second term about the software, which is the humans, right? The human capital, mm-hmm. whether you can have smart people who are healthy who have the you know protected jobs and and all of that so this is a very critical issue when it comes to knowing what Jokowi's next plan is and and Marufami talked about the 10-year challenge which yes. is not the 10 as we know it on social media but the 10-year challenge is demographic uh, dividend right this demographic bonus that we will have and whether Indonesia can reap it which will really rely on how we perform on uh, eradicating or lowering our stunting um, number and and how we reform our education system and all of that. So the fact that Maruf Amin, you know, managed to not master, but at least, you know, familiarize himself uh, in, in an informed or have been informing himself enough on kind of the statistics on how you know stunting has gone down from 37 percent to 31 and um all, all these different cards that jokowi has as a kind of social assistance on education and mm-hmm. uh uh food and, and all of that is kind of fascinating again it's, it's kind of impressive the debates uh, are also i think the the, the nerds among the, the nerdier <laughs> part of the of the society so in a way you do want to talk to, to this audience right who knows mm-hmm. their stuff and, and you want to appeal to them uh because i doubt that people who are people in the grassroots would watch the debate they would watch uh, clips of the debate that you know part of the campaign would cherry pick on oh this part is is great i will cut this part and and share it on whatsapp and that's how people get you know parts of the debate but not as a whole Mm -hmm. but the people who watch the whole debate are actually the ones who i think at least uh, are more informed about the policy uh scene or at least you know care enough to learn more or can can tell whether someone is just bluffing or actually know their stuff. So this is actually something I'm really fascinated by because you're probably right, you know, uh, people like you, people like me, you know, either politics junkies or policies junkies. We we love watching this kind of stuff, right? We love hearing about uh, the candidate's perspective. Did you get the sense, uh-huh. you know, with you being based in Indonesia, did you get the sense that even though the people watching might be people who are already interested in these kind of topics. Is there still a sense that there's a bigger population that now wants to watch as, as opposed to maybe like in previous presidential campaigns where 
the policy side of things might not be as compelling. Mm, yeah, I think with uh, I can't speak to the entire population, but at mm-hmm. least for the youth and the urban youth, maybe more specifically, I think there's more interest this time around compared to previous election years, mm-hmm. just because you know there's a lot of media that focus their content on young people, yeah. including I mean yeah, including those who are uh, not conventional media, including like podcasts like yours and like YouTube channels like yours and all that, or like in the- <laughs> like YouTube channels like yours. <laughs> like- yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I'm also thinking about, you know, Tirto, Asumsi, yeah. and this kind of media. So with this media, they almost can't ignore the debate, right? Because like, if, you, if you're just online, even, even though you're not, your television is not on, and you're just online, people on social media are talking about the debate. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to avoid, um, you know, to, you kind of, if you want to engage in the conversation, you kind of need to watch it. Uh, you have more incentive to to follow uh, the debate even if you just want to produce a meme or you know yeah. uh understand what people are talking about right so yeah. I, I think in the in the new demographics there's more uh incentive or, or interest now to watch the debate even though i again i i'm not quite sure how people change whether people change their minds up upon watching it but at least they can you know participate or can can get a little bit more exposed to what the 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 ways the approach the values of the candidates are when they when they talk in the debate and and you know i took this class um in my master's uh, during my master's which Mm -hmm. talks about writing for office essentially and they talk about how debates are essentially the the main function is to signal values right yeah and characters so people don't really care about the details unlike me probably people don't really care about details uh, of what whatever but pe- people care about uh, for San- Sunday's um, benefit for example how he's been polite to the elder mm-hmm. uh, person right how he uh, he talks about his wife and all so this makes him a good family man and I, I for, for some people it's also about that so not mm-hmm. necessarily kind of the policy wonk debate but the the characters the you know whether you would want to hang out with this guy uh, if if he's not a presidential candidate would you want to hang out with Sandiaga Uno as a human being or mm-hmm. would you rather hang out with Maruf? I mean you know this these kind of uh, questions or images I think pop up in people's head when they watch the debate, and maybe less about the pol- the real policy stuff. That's definitely true. And as somebody who comes from that sort of like political campaigning background, that's definitely something we talk about on the regular. You know, how do you make this person uh-huh. personable? And certainly, you know, I think one of S- uh, Sandy's strengths across everyone is that he's very charming. He's he has that within him. That's definitely something I know that the fact that he was very polite to Marupamian which I think is very important for that camp in order to, you know, make sure that Sandy is as inoffensive as possible, knowing that Prabowo has a lot of baggage on his end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's it's an interesting point, right, about there's more interest now in the policies, uh, even if it's just because you need to uh, be in the loop in terms of the conversation online and offline. I think, uh, I'm just starting to think about this right now. You know, I think our generation is a generation that has grown up with the with Jokowi's first term, with sort of like this coming of age of Indonesian democracy, where it's slowly, very slowly transitioning out of the vestiges of the old guard of the you know the people who've been in politics for decades, for generations, and now we're 
we're trying to see a different future um, and we're trying to participate uh, in it. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit naive and hopeful, but I feel like there's there's a certain like swelling of interest in, in politics from the youth. Maybe, I mean, obviously, it might still be the urban youth, but there is still an interest that I would say even like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I feel like there wouldn't be something like that. Yeah, I think what I believe is that young people are craving for these, you know, role models, leaders who who inspire them to use the very overused term, but <laughs> you know how politics can educate and and inspire, and you, they can really show that positive change can happen. And I think in the past five years, we've seen a lot of really top of the. Uh, well, they've let's say they've um, kind of flipped this this understanding that all politics must be corrupt and all that, you Mm -hmm. know, all these local leaders um, from Ahok and Jokowi and uh, we know Burisma and there's Edwan Kamil, even though there's some issues with him. Uh, But in in general, you've heard this new local champions uh, that are bringing change to the government and how the government works, right? And and I think this kind of optimism, right, that that we uh, that young people are are, are after uh, are kind of represented by these local champions. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope that the momentum continues to build, right, and we keep having great local candidates. And not to mention the legislative election is also really important. And I know that in that space, there's less people who are interested to talk about it because it's less, you know, like A versus B and, oh, this is my champion versus your champion. So maybe there's less traction um, to talk about that. And there's more confusion because there's so many candidates that you have to research on. But, you know, I think the momentum is there and I think we, we need to keep it, but also try to expand it to, so that it's not just about the pre- president, but also kind of local champions, uh, local leaders, and and the parliamentary members, right? Yeah, I think you're totally right, you know. Uh, it's not an insignificant thing that for the first time, both the presidential and the parliamentary elections are all happening at the same time. And I think it's, I think uh. it's good for our democracy, I think. You know, it's good to get people interested in all levels of politics because, as you said, it's not in you know, a national level. Politics is obviously the the most exciting, the most dramatic, but local level politics is also incredibly important and oftentimes the most tangible in terms of its results. Right? Like, you, you know, you can think about national policies, but sometimes it's the local policies that really affect change at a at a tangible level. You know, speaking about this as well, I think I'm curious about your thoughts because I think in light of the optimism from the youth, there's also obviously a growing sense of increasing conservatism, increasing, uh, I want to say, you know, radicalism in terms of perspectives and, you know, pushing people towards extremes where they can't find common ground. Like, how do how do you think about that when you see like, oh, the youth might be excited about progressive values, but then we're also, I feel like we're getting this pushback from the other side of the camp. Who wants to be much more insular, much more uh, conservative? Yeah, I think 
that's what's really interesting, right? When you talk about young people or the more, uh, yeah, the people have been overusing millennial. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of any politicians frame their policy as a millennial policy, you know, whatever, millennial, millennial this, millennial that. <laughs> uh, but really, think about millennials, whereas we're thinking of this urban young people, right, who live in, who are on their phones, live in Jakarta, mm-hmm. exposed to... I don't know, quote unquote, Western news, like international content. Um, but we don't really, we're not inclusive in, in thinking about the young people, right? Because there, there's no, you know, young people can be put in one, one bucket, right? There are the conservatives. There are people who live in the more rural parts of Indonesia. There yeah. are some, there are sure there are progressive. Uh, young people in the rural areas, but also they have different social ecosystem. Let's say, right? They, mm-hmm. they, that maybe promotes a different kind of value and 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 uh, all of that. So I think again, it's true that we can see that there are. I mean, in general, young people want to participate more or engage in the conversation more because of this optimistic uh, new wave of positive change led by um, some political leaders, but I, I definitely agree that there's an active effort, very organized um, effort in the grassroots through, I don't know, WhatsApp groups, yeah. you know, certain boarding schools and whatnot, where the leaders of this school or leaders, sometimes religious leaders of this religion-based groups, I guess, mm-hmm. or it doesn't have to be religious, but yeah, all sorts of social groups in the grassroots kind of promotes a very different value and they use uh, hoax, they use all sorts of lies. Um, you've probably heard about the firehouse of falsehood, right? Yeah. Um, tries to, to bring some of the young people to the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that both are happening at the same time and it's um, our, well, I don't know whose job it is, but it's <laughs> someone's job uh, to, to really draw the line where it's just, you know, a difference in value of, because people, you know, have the right to be conservative and, mm-hmm, and have their values, sure. but where do you draw the line where you, you don't want, uh, you know, radicalization of the ideology, you don't want you know, hoaxes and, and, and lies to be the base of our political process, right? Yeah. Because uh, I've seen the videos of, for example, of people saying that, oh, if you vote cap uh, number one, then uh, Indonesia will be, you know, people having extramarital sex everywhere or like yeah. whatever, whatever silly lies that they make up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so both are happening at the same time. And I think we really need to be aware of this when we talk about young people because it's not just one uh one type of of it, young people are not one dimensional let's say right there yeah, there are sure. various types of different corners of indonesia with very different values so yeah definitely yeah and that's definitely you know something that i think we we should all talk about right like as you said there's not one type of young people uh, I feel like there's an innocence with the youth, right? Like they they can swing either ways. They can swing progressive. They can swing conservative. It's about how how the conversation is guided, and you know it's a double edged sword because you don't know which way it's gonna go. And I think you're right. It's part of society's role to make sure that as we're celebrating diversity, we should also make safeguards against radicalism. And I think it was heartening to hear in the debates where. Uh, Marf Amin talked about, you know, let's not spread hoaxes, let's not spread fake news. Um, and I also noted that Sandy 
was talking a lot about tolerance and about, you know, making sure that we're tolerant with each other and with different groups, which even if it's just uh, campaign speak, I think it's it's still good for them to say it out loud rather than not. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And but so at the same time I'm also thinking about this book that I've been reading, right? So mm-hmm. so we tend to talk about radicalization or this difference in ideologies as sometimes not as given or like so, sometimes you frame the other side to be ignorant or you know they don't read enough or they they're not smart enough. Yeah. But I I being this uh, moral psychology book by Jonathan Hyde which talks about how essentially like people have different first draft of moral mind i know i'm going to sound very geeky just no, bear with it. me for a second you know people when when they were born there there are moral values that are universal for mm-hmm. everyone like like for everyone it's bad when someone gets killed or mm-hmm. when a little child is being taken care of it's it's quite a universal value right yeah. but uh there are other primary moral values where people have very different instincts on, like in group loyalty or um, authority, you know, the idea of respecting someone because they're older than you and uh, the idea of respecting or, or uh, sanctity or purity. So the idea that something is, is so pure that nobody should uh, tarnish it, like, like you, you need to defend it. Um, defend the sanctity of this thing this thing can be religion can be virginity can be you know whatever and Mm -hmm. in group loyalty so so these are the values where people are more um have different instincts on and how people who tend to be progressives tend to be less triggered by let's say in group loyalty uh or less triggered by um the idea of sanctity right but they're more triggered with the idea of fairness and uh freedom from oppression so if there are young people in indonesia who start with very different instincts uh you know this guy have learned uh, moral psychology or have yeah, studied and developed the discipline of moral psychology for a while he can see that people were born with very different moral instincts mm-hmm. and it's hard to judge the other person just based on where you're you're coming from because you have this moral instincts of you know oppression is bad um and who cares about sanctity of the religion and all that and you judge the other side and the other judge the other side judged you back for like oh these are western values of whatever you're talking about liberalism and all that whereas for me it's important that my religion stays uh, protected i have to defend my god and and all that so so they come from very different places right and it's uh it's important i think for us to start the conversation where people try to understand uh one another better and less Mm -hmm. about kind of promoting value and expecting the other person to quote-unquote read more so that they can understand and be smarter and less ignorant about my values uh, which is a very one-sided uh thing kind of almost i'm i know i i i'm blabbering everywhere uh but kind of make that point <laughs> no no that's a that's a incredibly important point you know be empathetic because i i think empathy is something that's been lost in the political system like understanding where the other side is coming from, where others are coming from, where people who didn't vote for you are coming from. Because at the end of the day, you know, whoever is in office has to serve for all of Indonesia, right? And that's something that maybe also the politicians have forgotten. Um, but you're totally right. You know, I think having this kind of conversation, uh, not just talking about 
who's your favorite candidate, you know, how do you promote that candidate, but also talking about how do we have a space, a safe space where we can talk about all things or from all sides and really listen to one another and not shout over one another, right? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, it's what less than 30 days now until the election. Um, it's like it's really weird because it feels like it's still a long ways away, but then it's obviously not. And we're at the this past round of debate is the third of five debates, so we still have two more rounds of debates, and there's still going to be a lot of conversation. Obviously, um, this upcoming weekend there's going to be the start of the open campaigning period for both camps. So we're going to be talking about this for quite some time now uh, as we run up to April 17th. Do you have any last words, anything you want to say to our listeners, Afu, before uh, I let you go? Sure. I think for me, one thing that I always keep in mind, and maybe it's useful for people to have in mind as well when they watch the debate, is that, you know, we shouldn't forget that one is an incumbent and the other is opposition, right? And Mm. because of that, I think they have very different burden, like each camp has very different burden that they need to prove or or you know, kind of provide in these debates where, you know, on the one hand, the incumbent, I think, have a really big burden of kind of showing that we have done this and that, and they yeah. can't say that, oh, they can't just focus on the future and their plans because they should have some evidence that, this, that some progress have been achieved, right? And on the other hand, the opposition, I think, has an even bigger burden of kind of proving or criticizing what the incumbent has failed to achieve. So when I, I think um, when people say that oh we need to change the current uh hashtag president right yeah. without a solid reason or like solid evidence of what has been successful or not successful during this regime it's kind of a baseless claim mm-hmm. and you want people need to think about how um, a lot of progresses in development often requires more than five years yes. to be achieved. So if you already see a positive trend, I, it makes sense for you to want, you know, the current um, the current government to continue and, and do the same good things that they've been doing. But democracy allows us to change course and if you really found good evidence that there's been something wrong because you can find many wrong things too from the current administration and you want to change the course then then you also need proof right first of all mm-hmm. that something's uh something's really bad have been going on and 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 that's why you want to change the course um so when you continue to watch the fourth and fifth debate just think about this burden of proof and whether you know camp number both camps are doing a great job based on this division of work because they are not in the same uh the same level of playing field right now yeah yeah food for thought when you watch the the upcoming debates that's an excellent food for thought and i'm and I can't wait for the upcoming debates and we'll see how, how it goes. Uh, thank you so much for being on this episode. I wish we had more time, but obviously we'll just have to bring you back. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to be here and, and I, I look forward to be reinvited to the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Afu.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's stephtank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!